0: We'll open our Bibles to the book of Acts as we continue our series on the beginnings of the church. Acts chapter 17, and I'm going, we were in 17 last week, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. So Acts chapter 17 and verse 16, and I'll be reading out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, if you want to toggle Uh, the translation on your device. I know I get asked that. I don't communicate it enough. Um, The CSB, Christian Standard Bible. And verse 16 there of chapter 17 starts and says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God, as well as in the marketplace, every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities, because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus... And said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting, because what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Let's pray over the word as we receive today. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you've used it to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, as we open it today, I thank you that it is alive and active. Lord, that is working in our lives and on the inside of us uh, to bring about the work that you would perform. And I thank you for knowledge. I thank you for truth and wisdom that flows from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've quoted often um, A.W. Tozer, T.O.Z.E.R. And it, one of the things that he said that has always stuck out to me is the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. That the most important thing about you as a person in living this life here on the earth, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God or what you think about when you think about God because that drives everything else. The most important thing about me is what I think about, what comes to my mind when I think about God. And that's going to be echoed today. And then also we're going to see that the most problematic thing for us is idolatry. And we'll get into that. But we see here in Acts 17, Paul, which we remember who Paul is, he, he was converted At the Damascus Road, when Jesus appeared to him and said, Why are you persecuting the church? I'm going to change your life and use you to then go and minister the same gospel that you've been persecuting and coming against. Right. And so he began to preach Jesus everywhere that he went. He would preach Jesus and he became a missionary going out from one church to other places to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to plant churches. And so he's going about doing that. And we read about last week that he was in uh, Thessalonica. He was in Berea. Uh, Things got a little heated there. So he went on down the road and ended up in Athens again still preaching Jesus but it says he gets to Athens and he was deeply distressed or he was stirred up in his heart because he saw that the city was full of idols or wholly given over to idols, the worship of false gods, the worship of counterfeit, And so while he's there, as was normal for him, we see this over and over. Verse 17, he went to the synagogue where those who worshipped the true God were. And he began to reason with them as well as those who were in the marketplace. And in the marketplace talk, he ran into some Epicureans and some Stoics. Different philosophies that existed in Athens at the time still exist today, but they they existed there. It was a town of uh, much thought and philosophy. And you would see that they would just sit and visit and argue about all of these principles. But the Epicureans, they they had the thought process similar to eat and drink because tomorrow we die. Pleasure is all we can hope for. We better get all of it that we can because there's no life after this one. We better enjoy all we can while we're here, right? That was their thought process. We can see some of that even still going on today. They don't call themselves Epicureans. And then the other ones were Stoics and they were like, we believe that we're all connected and the way for us to have true enjoyment is to be the most disciplined and temperate that we can be, uh, the most self-controlled that we can be, again, control of self because they also didn't believe that there was another life after this one. And so you're seeing Paul is able to go back and forth even with those very different philosophies. He's engaging them and debating them and probably pointing them to the right answer to both of their questions, which is Jesus Christ. That there is no greater pleasure than in Christ Jesus. There is no more that we can control all the issues that would abound out of us except in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so he is teaching uh, and debating uh, on all of these principles. And it says they were uh, they weren't impressed by him because you get this one line. What is this ignorant show off trying to say? I should probably write that in the front of my Bible and go, never have people say this about you. This wouldn't be good. But apparently they said it about Paul. So be good company. What's this ignorant show off trying to do? They weren't impressed, but they were entertained by the things that he was saying. They were like, maybe he's a teacher who travels around to teach about foreign deities, foreign gods, because it wasn't unusual at the time for someone to be a traveling teacher who would go and tell something new. Because remember, they didn't have access to the information we have access to today. Hey, that was a way to learn more than what you knew, to hear something maybe you haven't heard before. And so they were a little bit enamored with him and said, we want to take you to the Areopagus where everybody gathers and talks about these things, where, where all of the shrines are set up, where the temples are set up, where all the idols are set up, and everybody talks in, over philosophy and argues about the meaning of life and what it's really all about. We want to take you there and have you tell us what these things mean. And it says in verse 21, now all the Athenians, those who lived in Athens and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. They're they're, they're trying to find something new. Why? Because what they had already learned and what they had already heard didn't do for them what they wanted it to do for them. So they're always looking for something new And so they take him to the Areopagus, which is the hill of Ares. That's the translation for it. Ares, the god of war. It's the hill of Ares where they would gather and spend time all their time hearing or saying something new. And it was likely that that they had called attention to the fact that Paul was going to speak, that he was going to share, that he was going to declare to them this message that he brought. And so there's people gathering around and Uh, Paul, while this is happening, he's walking around and he's looking at all of the shrines and he's looking at the idols and he's looking at the temples and everything that's set up there on the hill of Ares uh, to these idols, worship of these false gods. And so either when it was his time to speak or when he just couldn't take it anymore, he speaks out to the assembly of people who were there. And we see what he said, starting in verse 22. And I want to read it just in its its full here. It says, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus, the hill of Ares, and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every aspect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. For from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being As even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, then we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. So Paul here at the Hill of Aries throws down just an amazing sermon by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love He starts off and says, I see that you're worshipers. I see that you're extremely religious. I see that you seek after religious things. And as I was walking around, I even saw that you have an altar. And on the altar, there's a label that says to an unknown God. Because see, they would have had other altars set up. This one's to Athena. This one's to Aphrodite. This one's to Ares. They, they would have had all of these different things set up. But they were so over, overly conscious of this, of this many gods lifestyle that they live. That they said, we don't want a god to show up that we haven't already been worshiping and him be mad at us. So we're going to have an altar that says to an unknown God. That way if one shows up that we haven't met yet or heard about yet, we won't suffer under the wrath of that God. We'll be able to say, hey, see, we knew you were coming. Like fire insurance, okay? They thought this was insurance for them. We're even going to have an altar to an unknown God. And Paul says, you're so religious, you even have an altar that says to an unknown God. Well, that's who I'm here to tell you about. That's who I'm here to preach to you about. You're worshiping an unknown God. I'm here to make him known to you. Just a great use there of where they are and contextualizing the gospel so that they could hear it. And he says, the true God created heaven and the earth and he is Lord over both. And he doesn't dwell in shrines made by human hands. And he, he doesn't need anything that you should serve him. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. And see, they had all these gods set up and they had to care for them. They had to make sure that they didn't fall over, that they stayed stood upright. They had to clean them, wash them. They would even feed them. Now, they couldn't eat, but they would feed them. This was how they served him. He's like, you God. You have to wash them. You have to feed them. The God that I came to declare to you today, he doesn't live in shrines that you can make with your human hands. And he doesn't need anything that your human hands can give him. Right. If we would go back to the book of Psalms, our God said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you about it. Why? Because if I was hungry, you wouldn't be able to help me. He said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you about it. He said, this true God is not served by human hands. You don't have to support him the way you support all of these idols that you worship. We don't support God Almighty. He supports us. And then he goes to tell them how. He said, he gave you life and breath, all mankind, all creation. He created from scratch and he set them in place. In this life and in this world so that they would seek him so that they would look to him. And he said, he's not far off. He's not hidden himself away from him. He's made himself able to be found, he said, because it, it, he's so close to us. It's in him that we live. It's in him that we move. It's in him that we are even alive. And have our being. He said, your poets got it right when they said, we are the offspring of God, that we are, uh, we are the created of God. And since we are, since we come from that position, he said to them, we should know that the divine nature is not like gold or silver or stone or an image fashioned by a human imagination. He's saying all that you've got here is just stuff you dreamed up, just stuff you came up in your own mind. I'm telling you that there is a God who created the mind that you've used to imagine these things. And you can't capture him in gold or silver or stone or these images that you would make. And so what Paul is pleading with them about, he's like, why would you turn away from this God that I am telling you about, the God who created and sustains all things to worship gods that you created and that you have to sustain. Why would you do that when you have the true and living God who created and sustains you? Why would you turn aside to things that you've created and that you must sustain? And again, idolatry it said it, 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 it troubled Paul's heart because he went to Athens and he saw that it was full of idols. And I told you that idolatry is very, very problematic for us. Why? Because it changes the way we think about God, which is the most important thing about us. Now, when we first hear about idolatry, we don't think it applies to us today. Right. Because the image that we come up with is rather primitive, even here at the Arabagus, the, the hill of Aries, we said, well, that, that's pretty primitive. I mean, that, we, we, we are so much more than that. I mean, idolatry is like people that live in the jungle that have bones in their nose and go into a hut and bow down to a statue of something. That, that is idolatry, and it is. But what is an idol other than an alternative to worshiping God Almighty? That's what an idol is, an alternative to worshiping God Almighty. It's taking an incomplete joy of this world and building your entire life around it. Taking something good, taking something that you can find joy in in this world, but building your entire life around it. Again, there at the Areopagus, the Hill of Aries, they, they would have been worshiping. Athena, They would have been worshiping Aphrodite, Artemis, Hephaestus. And we don't have anybody worshiping those false gods today, right? We don't have anybody worshiping those. But if you look at what each one of them stood for in that culture, one was wisdom. Do people worship wisdom and knowledge today? Do people worship beauty today? One was the god of war, power and control. Nobody worships power and control, though, do they today? Does anybody do that? Artemis was the goddess of fertility and wealth. The ability to, to procreate, create your own kingdom and to have all the, all the wealth. Nobody worships wealth, I don't think. Hephaestus was craftsmanship or somebody, the work of someone's hands, their job, their career, what they would do. Do people worship their career today? And you can see. Even when he said to them, I see that you're worshipers. I see that you're religious. We're all religious. Everyone is worshiping something, looking to something. And you have an idol. And I, I found that some of these definitions to be very helpful. If you hear me say anything super smart, it most likely didn't come from me, but from my study. An idol is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness. Anything more fundamental than God to your happiness. Anything more fundamental than God to your meaning in life. Anything more fundamental than God in your identity. Anything more fundamental than God when it comes to your sense of self-worth, to your value, and your security. Something that you're looking to other than God to satisfy those things. Securing your heart, settling your value, who you are, what you're worth. An idol is something that you love more than God or rest your heart in more than God. And so you can see idolatry is a problem for us today. Augustine, old saint, he he wrote much on uh, life with Christ and especially the soul and, and one thing that he wrote is the essence of sin or the beginnings of sin is disordered love. It's love that's just out of order. Something that you should love, but taking something that you should love and loving that as the supreme thing in life, the ultimate thing in life. And when love is out of order, it brings tragedy For us, because every idol that you would ever worship will end up breaking your heart, will break the heart of those who worship it. Why? Because you've taken something good and you've made it ultimate and you're asking it for things that it can't give you. And so it always lets you down. It always breaks your heart and you end up propping it up instead of it holding you up, which is what God Almighty does For us, idols will always break your heart because no created thing can bear the weight of your deepest desires. No created thing can bear the weight of your soul's longing. And we know that we know we we want things, We desire things. Our soul is looking for that satisfaction. All of those things that we mentioned, those are all good and right desires. It's a huge problem when we try to hang them on something that's less than God. It will break our heart. It will break our heart. And we know this. We know this. And yet we can still find ourselves walking in it. If our love is disordered. We've taken something that should be loved, that should be enjoyed, but we've made it ultimate. If our love is disordered, we aren't looking to God as the ultimate source of our joy, our fulfillment, our hope. uh, We have a desire to experience great love. If we're not looking to him for that, for our meaning in life, we'll be worshiping something else. We're always worshiping something. Everyone, everyone is worshiping something. And remember what happens. We talked about this, uh, back in December. What happens when you use something in a way that it's not supposed to be used? Caleb, okay, what happens when you use something in a way it's not supposed to be used? Okay. Huh? Someone gets hurt, Someone gets hurt or something breaks. That's what happens. I try to teach them that. I learned that a long time ago. I just had this moment of epiphany when they were using something in a way it wasn't supposed to be used and they, either it broke or one of them got hurt. I was like, that, that's, that's just true. Anytime you use something in a way it's not supposed to be used, somebody gets hurt or something gets broken. And when we try to put things in our life in an ultimate position when they're not supposed to be there, somebody gets hurt and something gets broken. So how do we identify these idols in our life. One, one thing you can ask yourself, which we would never say this, we would never say this, but an idol is to say, life only has meaning, and I only have worth if. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if. And what's in that blank after the if is so very important to you. So very important to your life, your experience in this world your true happiness and your true joy, because if you put the wrong thing in there, it can break your heart. It can break your heart. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm successful at my job. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I find the one life only has meaning. I only have worth if my children don't twist off and go crazy. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I've got enough money in the bank. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am in the inner circle. If I'm in the influence in whatever the area is that I'm trying to be in. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm able to control my days and my nights. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have power to protect me from everything that would come against me. You see the problems there because all of those things can shift and be there one day and not there the next day. And so if you put the wrong thing in there, life only has meaning and I only have worth. If it's not, if it's not that I'm found in Christ Jesus, which doesn't change. It's our foundation that's firm and set. Anything else that we can put in that blank can change and shift for us. And if we lose whatever we put there, we will end up in deep. If we put the wrong thing in there. Some of the things we look to, life only has meaning, I only have hope. First thing we look to in idolatry is ourselves. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get bigger, faster, smarter. I'm going I'm to whip this life. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to crush it. I'm going to win. I can do it. And we real quick figure out that's not going to work because we're with ourselves all the time and we know we're not capable of that. So then we look to someone else outside of us, and that's usually when we hit that romantic, I've got to find the one. I've got to find that one. When I find that one, then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll be accepted. And we're looking to them to provide actual salvation and redemption for our souls and our hearts, and they can't do it. So what happens when we serve an idol? It breaks our heart. So we look to others. We'll also look to just stuff, to things. Again, power, control, sex, money. We'll look to things and go, well, I must just not be having enough of it. You know, I don't have enough of it, whether it's sex or money. Maybe I just don't have enough of it. Maybe I'm just not using it right. Sex or money. If I just had it figured out, if I just had more of it, then it would be great. Right? Then it would be fine. We put all of these things in there and go, well, if I just had that, then I'd be Happy, then I'd be fulfilled. We even put performative religion in there. Well, if I just learned enough of the Bible, if I just spent more time at church, if I just spent more time, then, 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 later, then I'm gonna be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be safe. And and we serve after all of these lesser things. And then when we find out that they're lesser and it didn't work, again. We end up in despair. Sorrow is we're we're sad about something. Something happened, it didn't go well, and we're sad. Despair is when we've lost an ultimate thing. That's why he can only be the one in that ultimate spot. Because if there's anything else, what happens when you lose it? Despair. So, So the question is, where does our heart seek its rest? That's what we're worshiping. Where does our heart seek its hope? That's what we're worshiping. Where does our heart seek its joy and its fulfillment? That's what we're worshiping. And we're all worshiping something. We're all worshiping something. And as I was reading this and studying on this, I kept finding quotes from atheists and agnostics about worship. And I thought that was wild. And I want to read one of them to you. Because it is like what Paul stood up in front of, the Athenians and said, I see that you're worshipers and I see that you're religious. And I found a, a, a quote. Actually, it's a whole speech, but I'm only going to read part of it. It, it. This man was a novelist. Uh, his name is David Foster Wallace. And he was one of the big deals earlier in the uh, 21st century, or late 90s, I think, uh, since died by suicide. And he was giving... Uh, a commencement address at a college, I think like a liberal arts college. And one of the things that he said in the speech, which is a long speech, but one of the things, I, I was like, the, the way that he put this is so appropriate when we're talking about idolatry. He also made some people very upset in this because he was a self-proclaimed, at least agnostic. I don't know what, I don't know about God, I don't know about all of that, you know. But, but he, the way he would write, he was tapped into so much about uh, how our souls operate and how they think. And so he was seeing some things, but he couldn't see everything. And, and what he said was something that's weird but true in the day-to-day trenches of adult life. There is actually no such thing as atheism. This is why people got real mad at him because he said that. He said, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type uh, thing to worship, be it you know, Jesus, Yahweh, whatever, or some inviable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much... Anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we know all this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Worship being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're, not that they're evil or sinful, which he even acknowledges that they are. The insidious thing about them isn't that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are a default setting. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. You worship money, you'll never have enough. You worship beauty, you'll always feel ugly. You worship power, you'll always be afraid and seeking more power and control to numb that feeling of fear. And he said the insidious thing about this is that it's unconscious. It happens without us realizing it. We're not going and bowing down to something, but our heart is being drawn away to worshiping something that he even acknowledges is lesser and that will eventually eat us alive. He said that's why people worship a God, because a God can actually sustain the the people who are worshiping him. Now again, as far as I know, He never came to belief. He was able to see some things, but he couldn't see the truth. But he acknowledges that the drift towards worshiping a lesser is just that. It's a slow and steady drift, a day at a time where your priorities and your affections are getting disordered. And then the next thing you know, you have something as an ultimate that was just something good. And it is going to break your heart and eat you alive. Why? Because we're expecting them to deliver something that they cannot deliver. We're expecting them to deliver redemption. Make me faultless. Justify me. Give me hope of meaning. Give me security. Give me peace and joy. And idols are usually out in front of us where we think, if I could just reach this point, if I could just get to this level, if I could just make it from here to there, I feel like I can see it from where I'm at, if I could just make it to there, then, then I will be okay. If I could just, then I'll be okay. If I could just find the one, if I could just have kids, if I could just see them grow up and be successful, If I could just get to this point financially, if I could just pay this off, if I could just get out of this business deal, if I could just get this next job, if I could just graduate and get out of school, then, then I'll be comfortable, then I'll be safe, then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll have approval, then I'll have control over my life, I'll have the ability to do what I want to and need to do. And look, personal goals are good. All the things that we're talking about slipping into this idle status are good things but they're made to be ultimate things. And you're expecting it to give you something that it absolutely cannot give you. And it will break your heart. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you've set out there, as if I I can cross that line, if I could just get there, then I'll be, filling the blank, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be right. And you could get it twice. And it would still break your heart. I see it all the time. If, if you doubled your annual income, if you tripled your annual income tomorrow, give it just a few months and you will be right back to where you were. You'll be right back to where you were. One of the richest men in the history of America, Rockefeller. They said, how much more money do you need? Right? He has so much money. How much more money do you need? And you know, what his answer was just a little bit more, just a little bit more You double it and you would think, and that's a good way to catch idolatry, to say if if you got it, if you caught that tiger by the tail, if you were able to double it or triple it tomorrow, what does your heart think would happen? Because what the Bible teaches is if Christ isn't your ultimate, if that were to happen, your life would get worse and not better. Because you would have crossed that line that you thought was going to make you okay and found out that you were still you on the other side of that line. I'm running out of time, but I don't want to miss this. And I know this is, hey, you're like, Stephen, when do we get to the good news part? It's coming. I'm going to seal the bad right here with this little story and this quote. I'm going to seal it, and then we're going to go to the comfort, which is where Paul went with the people of Athens. Uh, I'll tell you about a man named Tom, Tom Brady. Is anybody familiar? You're an excellent quarterback, probably the arguably the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Not even arguably. is, right? just is. And... I um, I had heard an interview from him several years ago. So in 2005, Tom Brady only won three Super Bowls. Only three at that point. He's won how many now? Like seven. Something like that. Ridiculous. But he had won three Super Bowls, and he was on 60 Minutes. And you can find this. It's not very long. You can Google Tom Brady 60 Minutes, and you'll be able to see the clip. So it's in 2005, and he's sitting there with, I think it's Mike Wallace. Um, and he says... Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? People would say, hey, man, it is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my my life. But me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. He said, me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this is not this can't be what it's cracked up to be. I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? What else is there for me? And the interviewer said, What's the answer to that? He said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And again, how successful was he even just at this point? Right? A lot of people, my goal is to play college football. He played college football. Everybody playing college football wants to play in the NFL. He made it to the NFL. He made it to the Super Bowl. And he won. And then he made it back and he won again. And then he made it back and he won again. More money than we'll ever have. More attention than we'll ever know. An expert at his craft. And he said, this can't be all that there is. It can't be. He said, people will look at me and go, man, what's wrong with you? You should be happy. And I just can't be happy. I feel like there's more. That's what he said. I feel like there's more. This can't be it because this isn't what I thought it was. And what's he saying? I was chasing after this. I, I made this the ultimate thing and then I actually touched it and it turned to sand in my hands. It didn't do for me what I wanted it to do for me. And if you ask him today, he's going to say the same thing. He's still playing. He's almost 50. <laughs> and he's still chasing that dragon. Of, I've got, to, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I can, I can almost reach it. But he doesn't know Christ. And that's why he doesn't know That fulfillment. That's why he said, well, what's that answer to fulfillment, Tom? He said, I wish I knew. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Listen, and there's back in, uh, I read out of Psalm 62 this morning. I I saw that on, I didn't read it this morning, but on down in verse 10, it says, if wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. If your wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. Why? And, And what do we see in that quote from him We see the sorrow of getting exactly what you wanted, exactly what you thought you needed, and still being you. Still having that emptiness. Still having that need. You see it with celebrities all the time. Why do you think they get so awful? Why do you think they dive off into drug addiction and mania? It's because they made it, and they're still them. And it didn't fix them. It made it worse. The sorrow of getting exactly what you think you wanted And realizing that it's not enough. If you seek the ultimate thing from lesser things, they will always break your heart. And if you worship anything as God that's insufficient to be God, it will eat you alive. And that's what Paul was preaching on Aries Hill. It's like you're seeking after all these things, but you're having to support them. You're having to keep them up. You say they're your gods and you're having to feed them. You're having to bathe them. You're having to clothe them and give them a house to live in. But this is your God. He said, you're, you're, you're worshiping all these things. Let me introduce you to the only one who's worthy of your Worship The only one that can take the weight of your deepest hopes. The only one that can bear the burdens of the deepest desires of your heart. The weight of your soul's longing. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He made it all and He created you. And everything that's in the world, He created it. He made it. All of these idols, you need to hold them up. He'll hold you up. All of them, you have to support them. He will support You. He's the only reason you're alive right now. He told him, it's in him that you live. It's in him that you move. It's in him that you have your being. You're just not worshiping him yet. But he's made himself able to be found. He's close by. Whether you've served him up to this point or not, he is the reason that you are alive. This is what he's preaching to him on Aries Hill. You're seeking after all these things and none of them can satisfy you. He said, there's only one who can truly Fulfill you. There's only one who can truly fulfill you. And there's only one who, when you fail and you will fail, can forgive you and can restore you and can give you all of the things that you sought after from all the lesser things in life. Joy and hope and peace and validation and satisfaction and safety. And even though the man was An agnostic, he gave us a pretty good lesson there when he said, You have to keep the truth regularly in front of your face. Because if you don't, you're going to be drawn off by lesser things and deceived by lesser things, and they're going to eat you alive. So that's why we come. That's why we gather. That's why we worship. That's why we remind ourselves there is none other worthy of our hope and our worship than God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth and Lord of all, judge of the living and the dead. He would go on to tell them, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance. That'd be a whole lesson right there, wouldn't it? He overlooks our ignorance. He, he was, he's overlooking their ignorance. God now commands all people everywhere to repent because He has set a day when He's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus, He has appointed. And He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. He's saying there's only one that can fulfill you. Seek Him because He's able to be found. I'll tell you His name. He's not an unknown God to you anymore. Seek Jesus, repent while He may be found." So just in closing for us. So I went a little bit longer. And listen, I was telling Kelly, this just kept growing. So I think we're going to talk a little bit more. You're like, when? I don't want to be here for that one. Uh, uh, About idolatry. The Lord's already encouraged me to talk a little bit about the soul uh, this summer uh, when we finish up in Acts. And I think idolatry has to be a part of that uh, because it kept Growing. And I think when we expose what the enemy would try to tempt us with and call it for what it is, we can see things a little bit more clearly. But so today, when we take this right, what do I what, what do I take and do with this? One, one thing that we need to do is search our heart. We need to make that a regular thing that we do. It's like, Lord, what, what am I seeking after? And some of the best ways to do that without spending a lot more time on it is to look at what's making you afraid or what's making you angry in life, in your days and in your nights, what, those emotions that you can't control? What's making you afraid and what's making you angry? And see, trace that back. Trace that back because it can be something on the surface, but it can also be something a little bit deeper. What, what is that rooted in? Why am I angry? It's because I don't have control over this situation. And I, I feel like I should. Why, why am I angry? I wasn't treated with respect like I thought I should have been, like I thought I deserved and it made me angry. Okay, that's an idol right there. That's something that I'm, 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 I'm seeking after is my approval and respect from other people when that can only come from Him. So, so if we're feeling that away, ask yourself, what? First of all, you got to calm down. But whether you're afraid or angry, you have, to, you have to come down from that. Why, why, why am I feeling that away? What am I trying to get? There's something that I don't have. I'm, I'm either trying to reach out and grab it or what am I trying to keep and protect? And, and, and am I trying to do that on my own? Am I trying to support that idol on my own, or am I taking that good thing to God and going, "Please show me how to handle this. I, I can't sustain this on my own, but You sustain all things. What can I do with this? And call it what it is. Lord, forgive me for seeking after things like that they were going to fulfill me when only You can fulfill me. So we search our heart, we find those idols, we find those false things that we're worshiping, and we call them out. Just call them what they are. In your own heart, might just call it what it is. And then what does Paul say? Repent. Repent. What does that mean? It just means to change the way that you think. Lord, forgive me. I thought that was going to make me happy. I see now that that was selfish of me. And you're the only one that can fulfill that. Forgive me and and help me take that good thing and have it in its right place in my life. Help me reorder my loves because I don't want anything in that top spot other than you because I know anything that I put up there is going to break my heart. And hey, By the way, thank you. Thank you that you have made yourself able to be found. Thank you that you have revealed yourself so that I can know you because without it, I would be walking in life only being able to see the problems without being able to see the solution. And how pitiful are we when we're in that state? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, when everything else can't sit in your seat, you can do it when nothing else can satisfy and fulfill us and bring about those deep longings that we find in our soul, you, creator of heaven and earth, can and you have graciously offered yourself to us as our God for us to be your people because of what Jesus Christ has done. I thank you that we can know you. I thank you that it's in you that we live and move and have our being and we can also know you. And Lord, help us reorder the loves of our heart, help us move the things into their proper position and always worship you as the ultimate looking to you as the author and the finisher of our faith, of our life, of everything that we have need of, because you're the only one that can hold it. God, you've given us a lot of good things in our life. You've given us a lot of good people. But if we try to make them God, it's going to break our heart. Help us put things in the right place where we just have family that we love and enjoy. That money doesn't have to be a God for us. It can just be money. That all the other good things, gifts that you've given us in this life would be in their proper place with you as Lord over all. And that we wouldn't look to something that only you can provide. That we wouldn't try to prop up an idol when you're God that stands alone and has called us to rest in the refuge that is knowing you. Thank you that you're gracious to us when this happens. I thank you that you reveal to us when we're starting to drift. And I thank you that you keep us coming back to the body so that this is regularly held before us, the truth, so we don't believe the lie in Jesus' name. Lord, as we get ready to go, I thank you that we go in peace and unity with one another. Protect us and keep us safe. As we go through this week, that we do so with you in mind with our thoughts and our affections focused on you and watch how much better it goes when you're God and we're not. I thank you, Lord, that life abundant is available in you right now. And we are those that have great and sufficient hope in this life. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.